Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Good evening. It is 5.13 on the nose. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. Um, I have got to tell you guys that this is the day after every election that I kind of like, uh, where we get to do a a deep data dive on what actually happened, the trends that are out there, uh, and the like. I I love these uh, excursions into the data with y'all and I'm happy to take your phone calls and answer your questions at 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. The Abrams campaign is not conceding the race. Um, The Secretary of State's office and the surveys of the local elections officials around the state uh, are saying there are 3,000 absentee ballots left to be counted. And total in the state, there are 22,000 provisional ballots. Now, provisional ballots are ballots of people who think they're registered to vote in a precinct and they're not on the voter file, so they cast ballots and then they check. Now, some of those people won't be registered to vote and their votes will actually be thrown out. Uh, Some of those people will be registered to vote, but they voted in the wrong precinct, and so all the votes that could be cast in that precinct will be counted and the rest will not. Uh, So, for example, example, you're, you're in a South Fulton precinct and you should be in a Midtown precinct. Uh, they will count all the statewide races on your ballot, but they won't count any of the other races since you don't technically live there. Um, so uh, how does this break down? Um, well, there are 25,000 outstanding total ballots, 22,000 provisional, 3,000 absentee. If Stacey Abrams were to win 100% of all of those votes, uh, Brian Kemp would still be at 50.012 or, or 21%. Uh, it would be very, very close uh, to 50%, but he would still make it over the threshold to avoid a runoff, even if 100% of the ballots were given to Abrams. Now, the Abrams campaign says that uh, there are some ballots that were sent to Tallahassee from South Georgia uh, because of the hurricane damage down there, and those ballots have to be retrieved. The Secretary of State's office says they are not aware of any outstanding ballots like that. There are some overseas ballots that will be coming in, but none of it appears to be what's outstanding enough to uh, put her over the threshold. The election will be certified next week uh, after Veterans Day, uh, after the Veterans Day holiday. There's just there's nothing there. In the worst case scenario, Abrams would get a runoff, but it does not appear that uh, she she has the threshold even for that. 
with even if you give her 100% of all the outstanding votes. And, and we know, like, for example, the 3,000 outstanding uh, absentee ballots that she's not winning uh, 75% of those. She's only, I think she's winning 60% of the outstanding absentee ballots. By the way, it's very unheard of for Democrats to be overwhelming in absentee ballots, and Abrams deserves some credit on that front. She's been able to put her ground game to play and her absentee ballot strategy to play. Uh, I, I do have a question, though. I, I wonder, with all of the talk from the Democrats of voter suppression in Georgia, how many minority voters did not show up to vote uh, because they figured their vote wouldn't be counted, so why bother? I think they played a dangerous game on that, and it possibly blew up in their face. You have to, whether you like her or not, you got to give Stacey Abrams credit. She's come closer as a Democrat in a statewide race uh, than any other Democrat in Georgia uh, since Sonny Perdue became governor in 2002. Now, moving to the left helped Abrams rally some voters, and there's a problem here for Republicans. They did lose suburban voters, I, and I, I told you guys, and, and I got vehement pushback from a lot of listeners, but in fact, uh, sub white suburban voters who tend to vote Republican, they may not be registered Republicans, but they tend to vote Republican, they went for Abrams. And part of me thinks, I, I've got a real deep suspicion based on some of the precincts and how they went in North Fulton, because you got to keep in mind, there hasn't been, there's been a, a slow Democratic tilt in Georgia over the last decade, but it's not enough. It's still not enough. I've got friends of mine who are in abject panic that the state is turning turning blue or, or a deep shade of purple. And that's not actually true when you actually look at the underlying data. What is happening, though, is it appears in some of the North Fulton and even for Scythe County uh, suburban precincts that trend Republican, you had people who normally vote Republican Voting Democrat is a protest, uh, and I suspect, I, I can't prove it, but I have a strong hunch that these people thought, well, they're never going to win, but I'm going to protest um, Brian Kemp being so tied to Donald Trump. I really think there is some of that, because if you look at the the adjusted exit polling and the adjusted exit polling takes the the I think there were 20, 2600 people surveyed in the exit polls. When you model it to the actual demographic profile, the voter profile in the state, you, you get pretty good results of what happened. Uh, and one of the big stories that's not going to be told because it's being overshadowed by Abrams not yet conceding is that Brian Kemp won 38 to 39 percent of the Latino vote in Georgia. Uh, uh, Hispanic voters in Georgia turned out, and a good portion of them, almost 40%, went for Brian Kemp. If the Republicans can figure out a way to build an in, in a coalition with Hispanic voters in the state, Democrats will not be taking back Georgia anytime soon. But Republicans have to put some thought into how to do that. And it's very clear uh, the Republicans can take a firm stance on illegal immigration and still get a significant chunk of Hispanic voters. And that story's not going to be told because it doesn't fit the media narrative, and also all this other stuff is overshadowing it. Uh, but it, it, the issue here is that in the suburbs, uh, Karen Handel, uh, Rob Woodall, uh, they ran into this wave of voters who aren't per se hardcore Republican voters, but they tend to vote Republican, and they did not this time. And it appears that they're turned off by the, they're not necessarily turned off by the GOP as a whole, but they're turned off by the president and uh, they're turned off by those who ally themselves with the president. At the same time, Brian Kemp, by allying himself with the president as much as he did, 
had huge turnout in South Georgia, and that cushioned his victory to the extent that Stacey Abrams can't overcome it. Uh, he's going to need to spend the next four years as governor establishing himself as his own man outside the shadow of the president in order to win back those votes in the North Metro Atlanta suburbs. Uh, but Brian Kemp is going to be governor of Georgia. There's not going to be a runoff. Uh, if you give Stacey Abrams 100% of all the outstanding ballots, there's no way she can get Brian Kemp under 50% for a runoff. Um, but she doesn't want to concede, and this is part of a Democratic strategy. I want to talk about that strategy when we come back. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night? When you sleep poorly, how does it impact the rest of your day? Well, there's a great app to help you get to sleep at night, and I can tell you we've started using it in our family. Jonathan Last, actually, a friend of mine from the Weekly Standard, recommended this. He and his family have used it for a very long time. Uh, the app is called Calm. We have gotten to the point now where our kids now sleep in separate rooms, and our youngest has wanted to sleep with the dog. Our oldest has wanted some sort of sound machine at night. Well, this app, Calm, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grownups designed to quiet your minds and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark Peters, from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. There are guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and there's soothing music and more. For a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time at all. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then get to sleep. It is 27 after the hour. Uh, rain still very much in the area. It is particularly strong the further east you get on I-20. So now... Um, I, I, a quick point before I get into phone calls, I can make this quick and then we'll spend the next half hour on your phone calls. I think this is a pattern in, in democratic races. If you look at the Abrams campaign, they, they built a narrative for victimization across the board, uh, that, that Brian Kemp was stealing the election. He was suppressing voters. He was screwing up voter registrations. He needed to resign on and on and on. They built a grievance and they ran their campaign on a grievance. Andrew Gillum did very much the same in Florida running campaign on grievance and it didn't work, but they have helped delegitimize the offices in the States, which is something progressives like to do to delegitimize and break things down. It's a dangerous precedent to set. It is 40 after the hour. I'm Eric Harrison. I want to spend time on your calls tonight, answering your questions about the election, how it played out. The phone number is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, let's go to the phones right now. I want to go to Jeff in Dunwoody. You're up first. Welcome. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? Um, I'm doing great. Uh, you recently just brought up the uh, statistics uh, about the people and how the northern suburbs had changed. I have a 24-year-old stepdaughter and a 21-year-old stepdaughter, and they are full-on Democratic. And when they, I ask them why, they say, because I'm conservative and I'm mean. Uh, um, 
I don't, uh, I don't care about other people. And I try to explain to them that the way I was raised by uh, ex-military is that, you know, you, you reach down, you pull on your boot laces and you pick yourself up and you keep going. When you get knocked down, you don't necessarily ask for help. You just work hard and try to make ends meet. Um, she and I had had uh, my oldest stepdaughter had several conversations about Ms. Abrams and she asked why I was vehemently against her. And I said, because of her insurance plan. And ironically enough, as a union carpenter, I have wonderful insurance, which she is actually covered on and tried to explain to her that a single payer system would destroy the insurance she has uh, and mine. Um, and she says, well, we have to take care of everyone. And that's why she said that she was going to vote for Stacy and, and, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to take care of everyone. And my humble opinion is that's almost borderline socialism. Yeah. You know, so here's the situation. Um, the vote data shows very much that Republicans are losing, uh, the demographics of your stepdaughter, um, white millennials, uh, yep. 21 to even 21 up to 35, really Republicans are losing them and they're losing them on these issues where they, they don't really have a grasp of how capitalism helps, uh, elevate <laughs> people out of poverty. They think Republicans are mean. They aren't necessarily grounded in the church, um, and, yeah. and Christian values. And so they see Republicans as bigoted. It is a problem, and it is a growing problem for the GOP, and, and part of it is a voter education problem where they're really going to have to show that these things work. But honestly, we've had such a period of really good times in the country uh, that people haven't had to study the contrast of, of what else there was. Remember, we had this huge explosion of free market-oriented people such as yourself. How old are you? I am getting ready to turn 50. Okay. So you you remember, I'm sure then, you're, you're about seven years older than me, uh, your parents having to deal with the Carter administration and how Ronald Reagan turned the economy around. Oh, and demographically, well. people in your age, down to my age, are very in favor of the free market because we at least remember our parents and gas lines, even if we have no memory of it ourselves. Our kids have never known anything like that. Uh, they've known the bank bailouts and the GM bailout, and they, they've been taught that it's a failure of capitalism. And Republicans have done a very bad job of pushing back on that, and we're going to have to kind of re-educate people, I'm afraid. All righty, it's 53 after the hour. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Kurt and Swanee, welcome. You are on the program. How are you? Hey, good, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I just wanted to get your take on what happened last night in Texas. There's a number of races, you know, we were all following last night, the one here, governor's race in Florida, where it seemed like it was a GOP candidate facing off against an extension of Obama-era policies and, you know, basically what we saw in Texas last night. But I thought all the recent trends had Cruz winning by much more significant numbers instead of just barely Listen, squeaking out. So, Kirk, I, I can give you some inside scoop here. Um, I actually had friends in the Cruz war room who were on the Cruz staff, and they started sending out texts last night. In fact, hang on a second. I, I want to actually pull up. Um, so I can get the time frame of this as the votes were being counted in Texas, they started pulling up and 
said that there was actually no path to victory uh, for crews that they could find last night. And those texts were happening, uh, bum bum. Uh, they were happening around 9 o'clock last night uh, as the early voting wave was coming through. No, no, I'm sorry, 10 o'clock last night, 10 o'clock, uh, getting these text messages. Uh, and uh, Jeff Rowe got on stage and had to calm the crowd at uh, around 9.57 last night. The Beto O'Rourke wave was huge in cities. Uh, Texas Republicans got wiped out uh, across the board in the cities last night. They have long been able to hold on to the cities in Texas, but it was the the O'Rourke wave. Uh, Young voters in particular, and it was liberal white voters engaged for Beto O'Rourke, more so even than Hispanic voters did, uh, engaged for O'Rourke. And there was a likability issue with Cruz uh, with people who just they didn't care for him, frankly. It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. Uh, I want to give you the breakdown tonight of the races across the country. Uh, I do want you to know a little bit more about Georgia. And so as we start this hour, I do want to take your phone calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Um, and I, I really, the way I want to do this, actually, and shape this conversation, we've got a lot of people with questions tonight. And so I want to start taking those calls because they kind of weave into uh, what's on the board right now, those calls, weave into, the I think, the necessary issues we need to talk about. So I want to start with Janet uh, in Peachtree Quarters. Welcome, Janet. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I was wondering, um, someone like Lucy McBath, I mean, she wasn't ever on my radar at all as somebody um, politically active. I know her son was killed down in Florida. I remember when that happened. And I'm, I know she was a gun activist, gun control activist. But how does someone like that go from, you know, gun control activist to, bam, you hey, we want you to run for Congress? Um, so Democrats have an aggressive recruiting strategy. Republicans do, too. Uh, they find people who have done well on television, uh, in the media, uh, mm-hmm. talking about causes. Mm-hmm. They target those people and, and recruit them to run for office. Uh, and normally, if you're if you're willing to devote yourself to a cause, uh, gun control or elsewhere, and start showing up on TV, you're someone who may be interested in politics, and, and they go. Now, I can tell you, uh, McBath is, is, I think, going to absolutely win this race, even though it's within the margin of error, just looking at the votes outstanding. Uh, and it was a surprise to a lot of people, surprise in the handle campaign, I think. Um, she won not because of anything she did so much as the Abrams campaign ground game. Uh, the Abrams campaign ground game, and you should know, there was not a significant Republican ground game in the North Metro suburbs. That is something the GOP is going to need to work on. Uh, Republicans in the past have relied on a volunteer get-out-the-vote strategy and volunteer door knockers. And in Florida, look, look at the contrast between Georgia and Florida. In Florida, uh, there were outside paid operatives with hired people 
who went door to door on behalf of the campaigns. Uh, and the DeSantis and the Scott campaign did not get their door to door operations off the ground in time. It was outside groups that actually handled those um, outside groups affiliated with the Republicans who did door knocking and candidate pitches and finding likely voters, keeping track of them, going back and revisiting them, making sure they were engaged. That didn't happen in Georgia. And I have now been told by multiple sources that the Republican National Committee actually did not deploy resources into Georgia that had been originally promised in order to do that door knocking. The Kemp campaign was so focused on building up margins outside of the metro Atlanta area, uh, they didn't spend a lot of time in, in the north metro suburban area. And, and people like Karen Handel and Rob Woodall and, and a lot of these state House and state Senate races who could have used that RNC back to get out the vote effort, it, it never came. So outside groups are going to have to be able to, to step up and do this, and, and the Abrams campaign did it. The Abrams campaign had a lot of people going door-to-door -door in a lot of places. I can't tell you the number of people I know who got visits from the Abrams campaign, even though they were registered Republicans. It's like they went everywhere. They sent mail everywhere. We got all sorts of mail at our house from the Abrams campaign, uh, even though we're registered Republicans. Um, they really spent a lot of time building an absentee ballot plan, an early voting plan, and a door knocking plan. It didn't pay off for Abrams, but it was certainly got her closer than Jason Carter got or uh, Roy Barnes got or Mark Taylor got uh, in the past decade. And it's, it's going to be a model for Democrats moving forward doing that. Republicans are going to have to respond with a real paid operative on the ground door knocking campaign. In places like Georgia, look what they did in Florida. Those paid door knockers were able to win those races for Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis. Uh, DeSantis, in particular, having been written off by everyone. You know what we need to do? We we need to. Somebody needs to. I don't know that we need. Somebody needs to throw Brian Kemp a proper victory party. Um, it, it, that thing got dragged out so late last night. Uh, Charlie and I wound up driving back. We had to be be back in Atlanta this morning. So we had to drive back from Athens. We got back after three. The, I was not driving home after that. I, it took me forever to find a hotel room. Uh, I got into the hotel about four, uh, spent an hour uh, writing, working, reviewing the rest of the re research. And then uh, Scott Slade asked if I would come on since I was still up. I think I got to sleep about six, got up at eight, thought I had another hit with Scott Slade and I didn't. So I went back to sleep, got up, had a hit with Von Hessler. I'm exhausted. About 4 or 3 o'clock this afternoon, it's like, you know what? I haven't eaten lunch since 1 o'clock yesterday or eaten anything. It, it was a busy night, and, and I just felt like we needed a better party for Brian. We, somebody needs to throw that man a party. He's going to be the next governor, and he didn't really have one because uh, the Abrams campaign doesn't want to concede. Now, the thing we need to talk about real quick, the polling this year, it was actually good. It was actually good, and I know two years from now— we're going to have people calling in when I tell you what the polls say. You can't believe the polls. No, no, no. They were actually really good. Even in Florida, where the polls consistently had DeSantis behind Gillum, he was still right in the margin of error. I mean, the way the margin of error works and the statistical sampling, the polling was actually really good. That race was too close to call. Here in Georgia, the race, too close to call. The, the AJC polling in particular, very good poll here in Georgia. The AJC and WSB-TV and uh, UG actually deserve some credit for a very good final poll 
here in Georgia. Uh, it captured the race across the country. The the polling was very good. Even the New York Times Siena College polling turned out to be very good, a highly accurate polling. Uh, so next time you guys want to call in and tell me the polling's wrong, um, I'm going to point out that it was actually good this year. It was frankly, it was not that bad in 2016. It just didn't contemplate the Electoral College. Uh, it, it still captured very close to what the final popular vote was, uh, just not at the state level. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you guys, uh, you shouldn't dismiss the polling that much. And I, uh, after two years ago, I've been very hesitant on prognosticating what I'm seeing, but the polling and the data has been so overwhelming. I have felt comfortable this past month telling you guys, I thought the Republicans were going to lose the house, uh, and that they would probably pick up seats in the Senate. And I have been saying for two weeks now that Brian Kemp was going to probably win at like 50.5%. And, and I, I feel good that, that my calls were right. I remember telling you guys back in March, Charlie and I were talking about this on the way home last night, that I wish I had a transcript service where I could go back and find old shows and pull comments from March when I was telling you I thought Rick Scott was going to win in Florida uh, because of the anemia of the... Um, anemia of the of the race uh for bill nelson but nonetheless i digress uh the polling it wasn't bad it was worth looking at paying attention to and looking if nothing else at the polling averages not the individual polls the polling averages caught this entire trend this entire cycle very very good last night i had several members of congress tell me that the republicans were going to keep the house by five seats or so like i don't believe you looking at the polling trends looking at the way things trended in the last week and looking at the averages not gonna happen and unfortunately for the president of the gop it did not happen they did not keep the house do you have trouble sleeping do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night when you sleep poorly how does it impact the rest of your day well there's a great app to help you get to sleep at night, and I can tell you we've started using it in our family. Jonathan Last, actually, a friend of mine from the Weekly Standard, recommended this. He and his family have used it for a very long time. Uh, the app is called Calm. We have gotten to the point now where our kids now sleep in separate rooms, and our youngest has wanted to sleep with the dog. Our oldest has wanted some sort of sound machine at night. Well, this app, Calm, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grownups designed to quiet your minds and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark Peters from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. They're guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and they're soothing music and more. For a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time at all. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then get to sleep. It is 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. I feel like I, I need to apologize to you guys, and maybe I shouldn't, but between dodging tornadoes and suddenly the, the power flickers in here, I've got so much I want to talk about, and we just don't have all the time for it, and I want to get your phone calls in as well. And we got to spend some time talking about the Democrats and just how badly they lost the Senate last night. Uh, they may have been able to hang on to John Tester. It still looks like Martha McSally is going to win in Arizona. Even if she doesn't, the GOP will have picked up uh, North Dakota, Missouri, Indiana, 
and Florida. Uh, and uh, those are big deals. Uh, basically, every Democrat in a seat Donald Trump won who voted against Brett Kavanaugh lost, except for John Tester. He came exceedingly close to losing. Uh, the Republicans, by the way, just like in Georgia, the national Republicans did not invest in a ground game in Montana. Uh, that, again, I can confirm for multiple people that the RNC and outside groups didn't think Tester was beatable uh, back in March. And so they did not invest the time in building a good ground game in Montana, which was insane. Uh, they never think that guy's beatable, and, and he is. Uh, but... The Democrats have a real problem. Yes, the Republicans have a problem in the suburbs. Uh, it is true, and it, it infiltrated Georgia races. But it was a good night in the Senate uh, where Democrats increasingly cannot relate to people who do not live in urban areas. Uh, that's one reason, by the way, I'm glad it looks like Georgia's not going to get Amazon. Uh, I think the Republicans in Georgia have shot themselves in the foot by trying to attract a bunch of Fortune 500 companies to the state uh, and bringing in employees who don't change the way they vote because uh, they've just come into the state because they're employers. They're not coming here for more freedom. They're coming here because their employers made them. And they're they're increasingly voting Democrat. And, and I think we need to invest in local Georgia businesses. Uh, and I think Kemp has an opportunity in the next four years to be able to do that. Uh, but nationwide, Democrats could not relate. Uh, Josh Crashauer at uh, National Journal, uh, one of my great, um, great commentators who I read all the time with his Against the Grain column, he and the editor of the, the left-wing publication, The Nation, came up earlier this year with a list of eight progressive candidates who would be the bellwether candidates uh, to see how progressives do across the country. They all lost. Every single one of them lost. Uh, from Beto O'Rourke to Stacey Abrams to Andrew Gillum across the board, they lost. Uh, Democrats cannot relate to people outside of cities, and that's a real problem for them. Nine after the hour, Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750, WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Before I get back to the phones, real quick, um, I, I, I know I, I don't even hesitate to do this. You need to know this. Um, this is why the Senate gains by the GOP are so demoralizing to the Democrats. Because when you jump to 2020 and see what seats are in play... The overwhelming number of the seats that are in play are Republican seats. But here's the problem. Let me give you the list. Uh, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, uh, Arkansas, Colorado, Delaware, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Um, maybe you can see what I'm getting at just through this list. Uh, those are, with the exception of Cory Gardner in Colorado, those are exceedingly safe Republican seats. Maybe you can throw in Susan Collins in Maine, but I, I think she builds up such a good ground operation there. Uh, and, and possibly North Carolina, the, given some of the trend lines of that state. But by and large, these are safe Republican seats. Meanwhile, the Democrats have Doug Jones in Alabama. Not exactly 
a safe Republican seat. And they've also got um, the New Hampshire senator. And New Hampshire is a rather swing state. They have a they have an opportunity for pickup there. So Republicans headed into 2020 with a 53-seat Senate majority have the possibility of losing a seat, bringing them down to 52, offsetting it with a win in Alabama, which is more than likely a sure thing. I mean, Doug Jones' polling there is he's 20 points behind generic Republican. Now, generic Republican won't be on the ballot, but you get my point. Um, I this is it's a pretty big deal that that these are the seats in play for the GOP in 2020 um, for stalls Democrats being able to take back the Senate for another six years so or another two year cycle that gives the GOP four years on judges it gives them two years with Donald Trump on judges without a filibuster to continue moving forward on the judiciary that's a really big deal which is why the Democrats are going to keep screaming uh, illegitimacy about the Senate if you notice this is the Democratic strategy is to scream illegitimacy about everything they're screaming illegitimacy about the process in Georgia they're screaming illegitimacy about Brian Kemp's win. They're screaming illegitimacy about Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott's win in Florida. They're screaming illegitimacy about the Senate. Uh, they're screaming illegitimacy about the presidency. If progressives don't win, they label what they lost as illegitimate. Uh, they Essentially, all the rules are illegitimate unless the rules favor progressives. Um, that is communism 101, nonetheless. Uh, and I don't think it plays well with the American people. By the way, there are attacks going on right now on social media against white women in Georgia. Um, there are progressive groups attacking white women in Georgia for propping up the white patriarchy. Think about that for a minute. Uh, good luck wooing these people to stick with you. Uh, Caesar, you have been waiting very long in Buford. I'm very yes. sorry to keep you waiting. Welcome. Yes, how you doing? Um, my name is, uh, uh, well, you already said Caesar. <laughs> I'm a Christian uh, uh, Southern Baptist. I'm a youth minister in our church. And one of the things that you said this morning, when you were when you were with uh, in the, re- the morning show, was that 38 percent of the Hispanic uh, in Georgia went to camp. Yes. And I, I um, I've been getting uh, been receiving some fire uh, from my Hispanic community because I voted for Trump, I voted for Kemp, and I've been a Republican because mostly because of my conservative beliefs. Um, but I was a little bit disappointed when we uh, when we went ahead and approved this 1.2 trillion dollars and gave money to the to the um, this um, organization that does the abortions and all that stuff. But even even though I said I'm going to go ahead and vote for him for for the Republicans, I'm going to vote for Kemp and give him an opportunity to show. And all I'm tired as, as a Hispanic, and, and this is what I what I see in my community. We are tired of of the immigration things going on that the Republican Party, you know, uh, treats treats my, our people in a way that they're like the worst people here. That they're that they're uh, actually uh, costing the, the the government so much money and all that stuff. But I think. If we really look into the, all this problem, I think not only that the, that the, that the problem is only that's caused by the illegal immigration that comes into this country, but it's also caused by us as people, as, as Republicans and Democrats. The, the Democrats yeah. are, are very you know, upset that when Obama was in, in, uh, elected, he had two years to pass everything be, uh, in immigration. And, you know, I, I want to spend just a moment on, on Caesar's point. 
if Republicans actually engage in the Hispanic community in Georgia, you know that polls show exit polling, the adjusted exits, which again are are actually pretty good. The adjusted exits showed that a majority of Hispanic voters favor the president uh, taking action to secure the border against that that caravan coming. Did you know that? And that a majority of Hispanic voters in this country actually oppose illegal immigration. Um, it is a tone issue and an engagement issue. I think a lot of Republicans are scared to engage in the Hispanic community. Uh, they don't know how to engage in the Hispanic community. And frankly, there are a lot of hucksters out there who say, hey, I, I'm Hispanic and I can do this. Pay me money. And, and they don't. Um, you, you gotta be, you gotta know how to do it. You gotta be careful how you do it, but treat them as Americans. You know, the longer a Hispanic family stays in the United States, the more likely they are to identify as white and vote Republican. Uh, if you, the, if Brian Kemp over the next four years builds strong relationships in the Hispanic community, he will take Georgia off the table for the, and he only needs 45%. He didn't even 50% of the Hispanic vote looking at the exits. He got 38%. They're only 5% of the voting population. They may be 7% in four years. If he takes just 45% of the Hispanic vote in Georgia, the Democrats can't win. Republicans need to be building inroads and relationships in the Hispanic community in Georgia, and they will be able to completely shut down future Democratic waves. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Let's see, do I have time? Yeah, I've got time for another phone call. Um, let's see. Um, Roman, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. <clears throat> I wanted to call and I have a comment, sir. Could you uh, help explain the significance of the Senate being controlled by the Republicans and how that's going to help thwart any... Uh, possibility of uh, an impeachment. Uh, I've been talking to several people around here, and I've been trying to explain that to them, and their and their eyes light up. So I think that's a bit of good news we could we could all use today, sir. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's very interesting to me the the Democrats, even though they won the House last night, and by the way they they wiped out Republican advantages in governors' mansions. They flipped seven states for the trifecta of controlling um, the governor's ra- governor's mansion and the uh, general assemblies. That's going to hurt Republicans come twenty twenty one if they don't reverse it. Uh, the legislatures at least with redistricting. Uh, the Democrats had a very good night in state legislatures. They picked up 333 seats nationwide, not as good as the Republicans in 2010, mind you, uh, but they did that. Uh, they picked up uh, governor's races across the country. They rebuilt their wall in the Midwest. They picked up the House. Uh, but the Senate, they're despondent over because Republicans are going to be able to put judges on. They're going to be able to block Democratic legislation, uh, the appointment power of the president. And by controlling the Senate, uh, they can block impeachment. If the House ever decided to impeach the president or Brett Kavanaugh, if they wanted to do that, uh, they've got nowhere to go in the Senate with that. And the president can keep putting judges on the bench.